you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to the B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast. My name is Dan Seabrook and I'm here today with Lewis Henderson, VP of Threat Intelligence at Glasswall. Lewis, how are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks for coming on. It will be on a horrendously rainy and windy day outside in the UK. So today we'll be talking about how to stand out in a crowded market. But before we go into that conversation, Lewis, can you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us more about yourself and the company you represent, which is, of course, Glasswall? Yeah, sure. I think one of the first things is what is a VP of threat intelligence and, uh, and what, what does that role sort of entail? And I go on to you know, who we are as a company. So it, my role in threat intelligence at a technology company is slightly different from the people that we actually sell to. So someone that's a typical customer of ours would be very interested in their own ecosystem in terms of cyber threats, looking to analyze those. Threat intelligence, when you're a technology company, is actually getting that 50,000 foot view across all of your customers, um, you know, looking at events that are happening across the industry, you know, cyber threats, cyber risk trends, and consolidating all of that into something that your customers can both understand and then action on as well. So I have a quite a privileged role, um, really, because I have access to a lot of our customer data, but it's how I use that data and translate it into something that, that, that's really usable for them. And in addition to that, helping our customers and future prospects understand our, our product value. So threat intelligence, you know, I'm, I'm a geek by nature and, and quite nerdy. So I, I love it and I love all the data and I like talking about sort of cyber threats and big evangelist about that. But the role is quite critical because, you know, yes, our technology actually does something, but, you know, the threat intelligence role helps me communicate to the market and communicate to sort of future customers. So Glasswall is a company, so a UK-based cybersecurity company. Um, and over the last sort of 15 years or so, we've been developing a technology um, that uh, is fairly, fairly unique and sort of fairly stand out. Um, and as a company, we've just emerged from about five years or so from work deep within um, intelligence services across the globe, so predominantly UK and US. And our technology does something fairly, fairly simple, fairly elegant, which is instead of trying to identify malware and sandbox types of technologies, ident- identify the bad stuff, our, file, you know, you know, our, our, our technology just revolves around file and document security. So very, very simply, we take a file, we take it apart, and we rebuild uh, a new, safe, clean version of that original file in under a second and then get that onto a user. So use case for that is that we have that technology concept built into an email security platform as a, as a SaaS offering, as a cloud offering. And some other use cases, especially within intelligence services, take that concept and apply it in environments where you may wish to secure a highly sensitive network of, of, of users and protect them in a protective bubble from, from the internet, say, for example. So we feel this, the technology is fairly simple and fairly elegant, but clearly there's a lot of science behind it. So one of the tricks in how we talk about it is, is, is how do we make this simple and, uh, you know, and human readable as possible is, is the language you use. Okay, interesting. Thanks for that. And of course, throughout your career, you have mainly worked within the security space, which you mentioned Glasswall being a disruptive solution. Obviously, we know it's very crowded. There's lots of new, exciting vendors and technologies coming to market all the time, whether it's highly backed US companies, UK companies, Israeli vendors. Obviously, there's a lot, they're all coming from different angles. From your experience throughout your career in the industry, industry what is the, the secret or what's important for vendors 
to, to do to make it through such a crowded market and, and ultimately differentiate yourselves? Yeah, I'd like to say I had the secret. I can probably just say this is <laughs> this is our experience and this is kind of how we've, we've gone about it. So I've been, I've been with Glassfall for about just over five years, but I've actually been in cybersecurity for about 20 years. And I think over the time, you know, the, the language that cybersecurity technologies have, have used used to be one of absolutes. So it's interesting to, to still see that being used today. And I think that's something that, that you know, should be encouraged to be phased out. And when I say absolutes, I mean, you know, claims of 100% protection, you know, for all vectors, all manner of different threats. It's just, it's just not the case. And, and, and I actually, my personal story, you know, prior to Glasswall is I actually got out of the cybersecurity industry because after 15, 15 years or so at that point, I became quite disillusioned because I, you know, I was working for technology companies that couldn't actually deliver on the marketing promise. So for me, you know, exiting the industry was, was, you know, I didn't feel great about it, but also felt better because I wasn't basically, you know, taking technologies that I didn't have total faith in. And that faith stemmed from the messaging, you know, that it was, it was taking something to market that you were really emphasized to say it, it worked to the tune of a hundred percent or it gave absolute protection so certainly uh, i wouldn't necessarily say it's it's a secret but i think the recipe of of how we've been successful you know in the intelligence services definitely but certainly with our customers within the legal sector is just approach them very very differently and be be upfront and be honest you know our technology only does file and document security we don't do anything else and i think just being really upfront and really really clear with your messaging um, you know, it certainly helped us over the sort of last 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 few years, and it helps in that initial piece because it helps you focus and, and makes the messaging quite simple. But it also, you know, that then carries all the way through to the customer experience. You know, to just just so that everyone understands exactly what page you're on and the value you have to add as well. So so being really really clear, being really really simple, and just being completely honest about you know the claims around your product that's worked for us. So, you know, like I said, it probably isn't, isn't a secret. It's just a formula and it seems to have really worked for us over the last few years. Yeah. And we were talking before this as well. And I think one of the other things that you mentioned was around actually how you've, you've been creating a lot of noise through your dev team blogging as well. So obviously that's another, I guess, channel, if you like, or tactic that can help you differentiate in a non-traditional marketing way, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. So I think, so we've been really fortunate have uh, a guy called Dennis Cruz join us. So he's our, he's our CISO and our VP of engineering. But what he's brought is this really disruptive force for good um, in terms of lifting the lid on a team of really, really talented people. And, you know, this is, this is not sales. This is not marketing. This is just allowing a team of individuals who are all really, really talented and know their stuff to just talk and share ideas safely in the public domain. And previously, and it, it, it's a bit unusual for a technology company, and, and certainly for us, we're sat on you know our own intellectual property and patents, and and you know over the years you get protective over that stuff. So that's 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 okay, but you shouldn't have to you know lift you know put a lid on the entire company. And it's really important to start to let people actually talk. Uh, so you know for for me personally, I'm going also going on my own journey. In terms of openness and transparency, so I'll be talking about a whole bunch of stuff that isn't really related to our core messaging. A uh, good example of that is I'm actually, again, being a bit bit of a nerd. I actually quite like crafting uh, PowerPoint. You know, um, so I'm going to be writing a blog about how I created a PowerPoint deck out of our corporate color scheme. 
and how I make it easy for users to be able to just, you know, right click on a layout without them having to construct something all themselves. And that's nothing to do with our core technology. And it's just trying to bring out this, this human side to the business. But there's this really, really other positive side to doing this is that once you get a team of people being a bit more transparent and open and sharing and blogging, and that's really important, is that suddenly, you know, they, they also get their peers out there. Um, you know, what you're doing is really exciting. You know, certainly from our perspective, we think it's really exciting. And that excitement also attracts talent, but also attracts ideas and advice and guidance from people that are just there to to help you and for no other reason for that as well so it's really interesting to watch us kind of go through this process of being really really closed working with intelligent services to being now really really open about our methodology um, without you know corrupting or doing anything you know um to, to to you know take away from our intellectual property so so yeah i think you know openness transparency you know, certainly for us as a company, and we haven't been doing this very long, you know, admittedly, so we're all going, we're all going through a learning curve on, on sort of how to do it. But, uh, but no, it's going to work for us. And, and it's just really exciting to, to see us do that as well. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned that your product's been developed, for, I think you said for something like 15 years. So clearly over those years, there will have been new categories created, new uh, buckets of competitors that you may have been put up against over those years, even when perhaps not, not, having a product that's released to the market but you know what we hear is that a lot of marketers say that you should create a new category as a startup or as a as a disruptive technology so you don't actually have competitors if that is a strategy that the company chooses to follow do you think the full product should be updated or adapted to create a new market or do you think it's a a case of actually just shifting the messaging and shifting how you market and 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 your go-to market yeah some interesting points actually i think for us we created a technology that has created a market segment. So I think if we say, look, cybersecurity is actually a massive market. I mean, this is now, you know, gone beyond the multi-billions and it's heading towards, you know, trillion dollar market, certainly, yeah. certainly in a few years. So whilst we wouldn't say, you know, we created a, a market, we, we, certainly, we certainly entered a, a market segment. And it's really interesting, actually, because Gartner kind of beat us to it a little bit. So back in, I think, 2015, we started a, a relationship with Gartner. And the way our technology works is fundamentally very different to any, any other cybersecurity technology. So we're not going to get into the technicalities and fundamentals today. But the way that we described our technology to Gartner meant that we didn't fit inside any box or any quadrant for that matter. It was just something, a completely new concept to them. So, you know, that was 2015. We started a relationship with them. And then about 2016, they came up with this really elegant phrase and description that perfectly, you know, described us as a technology. So for us as a bunch of, you know, geeks, basically just, you know, developing this technology and trying to get this technology in front of people, they did a much better job than we could have ever done um, and came up with this phrase of, of, of called content disarm reconstruction or, or CDR to use the acronym. And it has a whole paragraph, you know, describing it and, it and it's really neat and it's really elegant. So in a way, our technology created this, this market segment called CDR, which was actually quite interesting. So we almost, you know, we didn't go out and purposely do that. What we've done since is actually, and certainly that one of the methods that I've tried to do is you see many, many, cyber threats have their own category and i think probably the one that's or the two that are probably most famous are are, are ransomware and in particular phishing and i think these become so mainstream that um you know generally and and almost like the general public actually know what these are you know attacks are happening so often um people understand that phishing uh, is someone you know trying to reach them typically through email 
and even that evolved over time. So, you know, phishing is, is one thing that the general public can understand. But when you start to talk to the slightly more technical audience that, that we have, you know, cybersecurity people, that phishing category in its own right evolved into something called spear phishing. And, the, you know, the, the general definition of spear phishing is, is, is you know, an attack on, on a company where they're trying to get the users to click on links, open email attachments, kind of do all that, that sort of standard sort of phishing stuff. But this was very much from an attacker to a, to a, a single organization. And what I saw was an opportunity for us to create another extension of that as well. So again, my, in my role as, as VP of Threat Intelligence, like I said, I get to see all our customer data. I get to see all these trends. And one of them I noticed, and, and then this is also really interesting, a good, a good case of looking at all your customer data and trying to use it as a, as a positive, you know, out in the marketplace. So what I saw in amongst all our data, which is based on malicious email attachments, so 70% of them represented a completely unique event. And this was unlike a lot of other types of cyber attacks that I'd seen. So, you know, for example, I think a good example of the, the WannaCry ransomware on our NHS in the UK. You know, that was a global event. That was one hacking group that managed to disrupt, you know, a lot of machines across the internet. And almost what I was seeing in our data was almost like the complete opposite of that. You know, these were malicious email attachments coming from a single email address, you know, going to a single recipient with a completely unique um, email attachment. And when I say unique, I mean, the data set was 25 million email attachments. So you're talking about a one in 25 million incident and like as as from a customer's perspective which i always try and put myself in their shoes like how on earth are you going to protect yourself against that but how are you going to spot it but also from my perspective like how am i going to define this so you know taking that extension of, of phishing which which you know morphed into spear phishing i actually came up with a new threat category called evasive spear phishing and it was the only way that I could elegantly describe what was happening, you know, around all these unique events. And it's really interesting from our perspective. So, you know, evasive spear phishing and what it's done for us and coming up with this new category meant that, you know, the press and the media were interested and started to write about it because it was something new, something they hadn't heard of. And they wanted it explaining to them. And I think that's really interesting from a marketeer sort of perspective is that, you know, yes, go and spend time with the geeks, you know, in your company, sit and talk to them about, you know, what's really going on and, 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 and what they find interesting because the likelihood is that, that your audience potentially will also find that interesting as well because, you know, who is your audience? Ours is certainly, you know, cybersecurity people. And if I found this interesting, they probably would too. Um, so, yeah, definitely from a, from a sort of marketing and sort of messaging perspective, you know, take time to go and speak to your developers, you know, take time to get someone to look at your data and, and see how you can translate it. Um, and something really interesting happened when I started to write about evasive spear phishing in the public domain, um, because you know I'd written this 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 mini white paper, this bulletin. It has you know had stats in it, had some very basic infographics, because again our, our marketing isn't that sophisticated. Let's face it. And what started to happen is that other people were taking this and translating it into their language, their design language. So, good example: US company uh, that we're actually pretty good friends with now took what I'd written and created infographics, but infographics in their own branding, you know, in their own iconography and all that sort of really interesting stuff, you know, referencing us as a company, but they, they really wanted to use this material amongst their customers as well. And in addition to that, you know, that we also saw, you know, um, the press pick up on it. And, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, we all 
you know, like to have a bit of a legacy, you know, if you spend long enough time in the industry. So for me, one of my legacies that I can sort of leave behind almost is this, this new threat category that we, we created as this small UK company that, that seemed to get sort of picked up and get people talking. So, so yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of things out of it. Yes, you know, create a category that's an extension of something that people can associate with and already understand, certainly build on that. You know, spend time going through, you know, areas of the business that you may not already talk to people. So, you know, start talking to people in the corridor if you work for a big company, you know, in a smaller company, just just start asking people what they find interesting. You just never know what you may find. And and, and it's it's by these sort of almost like these happy accidents of just me one day looking through our data and noticing this sort of trend that, that led to this category sort of being created. So so yeah, I would I would like to sit here and say it was all genius and it was all planned, but it really wasn't. So so yeah, no, it's it, it's worked for us and it is, you know, as I said, it's it's something a little bit different. Interesting. And obviously, you've shared your example there around how you've, in a niche market, created an even more niche category. If you look at the kind of broader cybersecurity landscape, and potentially even outside cybersecurity, but from a, from a te- if we, we look at the technology industry, from a marketing perspective, what are the key trends that you're seeing, whether that's something that you're applying yourselves or something that you really respect another company or, or part of the industry for, for doing what? What are some of the trends that you're typically seeing at the moment? Um, well, I mentioned a keyword earlier, and I think that's that sort of transparency. And with that comes this this honesty, and it's really refreshing. And I think if you, so our audience are generally really well-educated, and let's face it, their salaries range between 400,000 and 5 million, right? These are, these are, you know, chief information security officers in some pretty big companies, but also some IT, IT directors in, in some not so big companies. So... And I, and I think they're, they're just completely saturated with so many messages of, of, of what I was referred to earlier as the, these absolutes. You know, this is promises of 100% protection, you know, from a cybersecurity perspective. They're just completely fatigued by all of this. And also there's this very, very robotic side to all these companies that are just pumping out the same messages. And it's very, very confusing. So if you think of the audience from a, from a cybersecurity perspective, it's actually very difficult to distinguish 100 companies that are all saying the same thing. But if you look at the company who's actually talking publicly and openly about their methodology in terms of development, you tend to get a slightly more human side of the business. So for us, it's really working to get our development team all writing their own blogs and getting that out publicly because it starts to create something more than just the technology. And I'm not talking all these abstract things around sort of brand. It's just, you know, we're powered by a bunch of human beings. You know, there isn't some autonomous sort of robot in the background. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I think, you know, people do genuinely buy from people and just being open and transparent and honest is, is certainly got that shift towards us, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a small company that, you know, shift towards that sort of slightly more human element. And this is, as I said, without compromising any of our intellectual property, you know, we're, what we're talking about publicly is just, here's what we're doing, here's how we build really robust cloud services. And, and then, like I said, you know, I'm blogging about PowerPoint, it's got nothing to do with, with, uh, you know, our, our, our technology, but, you know, in, in the hope that if I talk about this, you know, our own people, our own employees are going to actually use what I created. And in addition to that, someone might be, oh, they, these are, these guys are actually like quite cool. They don't really talk about, you know, complete nerdy cyber geek stuff all, all the time. And uh, and that's that's coming through in all these sort of blogs. Again, you know, just going and, and doing something a bit off the wall. Like, you know, for example, recently we, we posted a, a LinkedIn 
a picture of myself and one of our marketing guys with a banana stuck to the wall, you know, as, as a way to do something different and as a way to do something, you know, a bit away from the boring stuffy stuff that we'd, we'd you know, that we probably sort of pushed out recently. I probably for reference that that banana stuck to the wall was the artwork that sold for $120,000. But interestingly, you know, I took a picture, there was a picture of me at an, an awards ceremony where we won a few IT awards. And I just on the spare of the moment decided to just pull a pose that I wanted to, not just one that the shareholders would be interested in, which is me doing this, you know, stupid high kick. And I was really excited and happy in the moment. So I, I had that picture, but also I wrote a blog about why did this award actually mean so much in that moment? And it was really because we'd put so much hard work and effort into the years that have sort of preceded it. It felt like a really cool moment. And that was me sort of celebrating it on behalf of the company, because I know that everyone in the company is really excited. And I've, I did think twice about putting it on social media. <laughs> But it actually got over, I think, no, like nearly 5,000 views and a whole bunch of like people just saying, this is great. This is like such a such a cool picture. And it's the similar one with the one that we taped with the banana to the wall. You know, it was just this crazy moment. And we just thought, you know, let's just do this. And at the point that of that we're recording this today, you know, we did it yesterday and it's about two and a half thousand views already and like really positive views and comments. And, you know, people just like seeing that that human side. And, and like I said, it, it, you don't have to do it in every post. You know, there is a serious side to what we do. You know, we have some extremely serious sort of customers. But I think, you know, when you go out, you know, publicly, commercially, you're allowed, you're allowed to kind of have a, have a, a human being actually sort of represent the company. And, uh, and yeah, that is, just, like I said, that's, that's working really well. And, and uh, you know, above everything else, it's actually been a bit of fun. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, that, that's really important as well. And that shines through. So the people that have been, you know, seeing us actually having a bit of fun and being a bit off the, off the wall are really responding positively to it as well. So. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess a, a last question or point, if you like, from me would be um, making marketing fun, making a bit of a noise, doing things slightly differently from your, your traditional marketing. I think in particular in the cybersecurity space becoming ever more important talking to a lot of our clients that are in the space, they find it difficult more and more these days to get public references, public case studies that you can talk about, which of course would, I, I believe would make someone in your position, it would make your life more difficult at least to get them like, the name out there from a Glasswall technology perspective. So it's just a case of getting the name of Glasswall out there. And exactly. And, and one of the, so for example, our customers are to call them sort of risk averse is an understatement. So, yeah, we have to think along the lines of, of critical national infrastructure, like tech, you know, electricity companies, some of the world's you know leading law firms, you know, uh, family funds. I mean, you know, what's at stake behind our technology is is massive. But of course, you know, with a risk averse type of customer, you will never be allowed to mention them by name publicly. We reach some of our customers through partners, so yes, we can mention them, and 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 uh, we do that, that. That's sort of no problem. So the way I found myself, uh, you know, I found myself a bit frustrated because, you know, we've got one case study and it's a really good case study with a global technology company brand, but I can't write any more. And it was, it's been this really sort of frustrating thing. So what I've, what I've basically been doing in the background, and we will be publishing these, uh, as I said at the point of this recording, they're not out yet, but they're what I call customer success stories. And I've written them in such a way that each one is no more than two paragraphs, but each paragraph, you know, paragraph one is about presenting the problem, you know, the, the, the scenario and, and laying it up. And then paragraph two is about how we helped our customers overcome that problem. 
and then getting creative with a title. So one of them is, you know, how do we keep the lights on in Canada? Is a really cool story about how we stop ransomware reaching one of our customers, while simultaneously another organisation of a, a you know similar similar level actually got hit with ransomware. So it's nice to always have that. Here's how we helped our customer, and that duality of here's what happens. You know, if you you know you know what, what happens when you when you don't have this particular technology. It was good to have that that example, but I think what's really really important is writing these in in really plain english and which is something that i i struggle with so again like being a bit <laughs> geeky i can get a bit overly technical te- you know technical and lose people so my measure and the way that i do that is sometimes i open source these stories and i let a whole bunch of people read them before i go before i post them publicly and in doing so with a range of people who are non-technical that certainly helps me you know make me better at writing makes me better at you know how do i how do i kind of unpick something that's actually pretty complicated and, and talk about it in plain english and i think a proof of that was our, our pr team um and our pr company their copyright you know read through these i've got four that, that i've sort of crafted in the background and he came back actually making sort of pretty minor changes but interestingly he said these are really cool you know and that's that's the exact response i wanted to try and get so you know if you are constrained in this in this way and you may not have a bunch of customers that you can either talk about or you may not even have a bunch of customers um there probably is some really really interesting stuff that you could sort of still write about but but again you know the writing style has to be really really sort of plain english and and i've found ways that if i can if i can share and be open with the stories with a bunch of people before they go public it really helps get your point across about you know what you were trying to do originally Okay, excellent. Cool. All right. Well, I think we're uh, approaching the end of our uh, conversation today. So I really appreciate the insights and appreciate your time. I guess the last sort of finishing point from your side is if anyone wants to connect with you to learn more about Glasswall or continue this conversation or indeed open up another conversation, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you and the company? Yeah, apart from searching up, you know, banana tape to wall picture, you know, (laughs) all that sort of stuff. Uh, so LinkedIn, really good. I'm on LinkedIn, Lewis Henderson under Glasswall. Should be sort of fairly fairly sort of searchable. And obviously through our, our, our website, glasswallsolutions.com. So there's a whole bunch of people that you can sort of reach out through that. But LinkedIn's, LinkedIn's really good, it's really easy. And I'm on that publicly. So. Okay, fantastic. Well, once again, appreciate your time, Lewis. It's been great having you on the show. Super, thanks for having me. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.